It's Monday, July 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Helm. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Uh, we've got uh, Comcast spending some money on their marketing, and we are going to dip into the Fool mailbag. But we will start with one of the big stories over the weekend, and that's Apple. Apple reportedly held discussions with Twitter about investing in the social media site. It, guys, the investment would have put Twitter's valuation at more than $10 billion. The latest round of private uh, financing that Twitter did values the company at $8.4 billion. So this would obviously be a bump up. Um, let's just start, Joe, with should Apple do this? What was your reaction when you saw this story? Were you, were you thinking, wow, this is great? Or were you thinking, no? <laughs> oh, I really like this from both Twitter and Apple's perspective. You know, from Apple, they've got $117 billion in cash, and they're trying really hard to differentiate iOS from Android. They have deep pockets, and Twitter with Google could be very, very dangerous. Uh, Twitter that was more tightly integrated into Android would be a real point of differentiation. And something else with Twitter is that there's so much information and real-time news there that with Google's backing and efficiency, it could be so much better... It could serve up ads more effectively, and you could plug Twitter into Google in a way that's a lot more useful. So it makes all the sense in the world for Google to acquire Twitter, right? There's not as much sense for Apple to do it, but there is some sense. And even better, if they just buy a small minority stake, like, say, a 20% stake, that's enough to keep Google at bay, uh, but still get all the benefits of buying Twitter effectively, so better integration. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I like the integration point there. I mean, as a laptop and desktop user at home, I also have an iPhone and an iPad. So I, I see from both operating operating platforms perspectives. And the one thing that really has impressed me about Twitter over the year or two that I've, I've actually been on that social media platform is that it is very – it's quick hit, free-flowing. It's a good news feed. I love it for the iPhone. It's a great platform for the yeah. iPhone. You want to just check in there and find some news real quick. Um, otherwise, it is kind of a bear to go surfing around those places and hit the little, you know, little links and whatnot. So there is a lot to be said there for how it works, you know, into the operating system, particularly where Apple's concerned. I don't know that I would think necessarily Apple would want to jump in there and just buy Twitter. I mean, I could see having an interest in the company. Um, to me, I, I've always kind of wondered Twitter seemed to be – I always just felt like Twitter might fall under that Facebook umbrella and Facebook might someday – uh, by Twitter. Now you see this talk of a potential Facebook phone a year from now, which, you know, I mean, then you start asking yourself all sorts of other questions. Is there potential for a Facebook phone that would one day unseat the iPhone? I mean, in my opinion, that would be highly unlikely. Yeah. So I do see where Apple's coming from here. I, I, I think that an interest in Twitter would be great. Uh, not buying the whole thing. I don't see, you know, why they would have to really deal with messing around with the whole company. But. And Mark Zuckerberg said on the conference call last week. He basically dumped a big bucket of cold water on the whole notion of a Facebook phone. Um, But it does seem, Joe, particularly on the most recent Motley Fool Money, when we were talking about the challenges that Facebook is facing in the mobile platform, I have to believe that there are some people at Facebook that when they saw this story over the weekend about Apple, it probably had some kind of a chilling effect for them. Yeah, sure. I mean, another big benefit of buying a you know small stake in Twitter for Apple would be showing Facebook that you're not going to make yourself reliant upon them as a platform. And so uh, Apple's done a nice job of doing a little more Facebook integration into iOS and Twitter. But if they take a step with Twitter, it definitely 
is a little bit spooky for Facebook, and it kind of keeps them on the ropes. What do you think the end game is for Twitter here? Because we've seen just over the last six months or so, Twitter has. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to use myself as an example. I interpret uh, what they've done over the last six months or so as a sign that they are interested in remaining very much their own company. When you look at how uh, one of the things with LinkedIn, uh, as someone who uses LinkedIn, you used to be able to see Twitter feeds of people that you're linked in with, and Twitter essentially put a stop to that. And, and it was really this sense that Twitter wanted to own their own platform. They weren't interested in the distribution with LinkedIn. And I'm just wondering what you guys think in terms of their end game. Do you think that the best move for them is to remain private? Is it to IPO at some point? Or is ultimately their game just a, a way of thinking, you know what, ultimately we want to be bought out at a higher price? Jason? So I don't know that the buyout is necessarily something that they're concerned about. You know, one of the things I refer back to is with Apple and their voice uh, recognition technology that they work on with Nuance, for example. And it seems like every month or every quarter we always hear about this, you know, is Apple going to buy Nuance? Oh, they could just pick them up for a pittance. I mean, they have $100 plus billion. I'm like, yeah, maybe so. But does Apple really need to jump in there and deal with that? I mean, yeah. the, the relationship is, is beneficial for both. They can work together. And, you know, Apple didn't really have to worry about the the – the nuances of running a company like Nuance, for lack of a better word. but So I, I don't know that Twitter really benefits from being bought out by anyone. And, and I also refer back to a point Ron Gross was making on Friday at our Fool One picnic, where he's saying, you know, companies will go public if they really need to raise money uh, to, to take it to the next level. But you don't want them going public just for the sake of going public so they can say they went public. I don't know that Twitter needs to go public. I, I think that it's it's nice that they have control of their own destiny at this point. If they can you know establish uh, mutual relationships with, with a number of different platforms, I think that's great. And they can still be in control of their own destiny. Joe? Yeah, I think Twitter does need more capital, unlike Facebook. I mean, how many times have you gone to Twitter or you know Twitter.com over the past year and the site has been down? Yeah. If they were Google-backed, that would never be the case. When when have you gone to Google.com and it was down, right? I mean, Google prides itself on speed and efficiency and uptime. And I think if they were backing Twitter, uh, the service would be a lot higher uh, in terms of uptime. And overall, I think a lot of this you know, song and dance with Apple is really just smoke and mirrors. I think ultimately they do intend to sell to Google. And I think Google realizes that Twitter would be such a valuable asset to them on real-time news, on advertising, on mobile, that they can't afford to let it slip away. It's just going to be a matter of time for Larry Page as to write a very, very large check to make it happen. Right, but to be clear, I mean, more capital doesn't necessarily mean IPO. I mean, they can be two exclusive things. Sure, sure. Uh, We're all on Twitter. We all uh, have our own individual accounts. There's a market foolery account for people interested in in (coughs) following, if you're looking to follow us. Uh, But just for our listeners, let's just close out with uh, two people that you think other people should follow? Let's make it one business and one non-business person. Jason, who, who are a couple of people to follow for people who are interested? All right. So I am going to give a little plug for an interview I gave earlier today with the Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan. Um, I think he's got a neat Twitter feed that uh, gets a lot of great information out there in regard to, to you know, movements they're spearheading there at the, at the Department of Education and, and uh, you know, new ideas regarding financial literacy and whatnot. So that's kind of my business one. Um, and then non-business, and I think you'd probably agree with me here. We got the uh, our local radio guys here, the sports junkies. I think yep. between the three of them, you got E.B., Eric Bickle, you got Johnny Cakes, Auville, and then uh, J.P. Uh, Flame. I think you can follow any one of those three guys, and they're always fun for a, fun for a follow. They give you a good laugh. Joe? 
I'd go with reformed broker, this guy Joshua Brown. He's exactly what he sounds like, a former <laughs> Wall Street broker who's now a blogger. Very funny, uh, good investing commentary. And Andy Borowitz on the non-investing side, just super hilarious political uh, comedy. I'll go with Becky Quick from CNBC, yeah. the host of Squawk Box. Uh, always a great uh, tweets at the beginning of the day. Uh, some of them are entertaining, but others are just really great uh, insights into what's going on in the market at the start of the day. And uh, our buddy Eric Rideholm over at Pardon the Interruption, yeah. he's the he's the um, creator of Pardon the Interruption. And what I love about Eric uh, on Twitter is that uh, he he doesn't tweet all that often. Um, but they're high impact. But they're they are. high impact. <laughs> yeah. uh, Comcast is launching a marketing campaign to better explain Xfinity. <laughs> yes, the Xfinity rebranding bundled service that was launched two years ago. Comcast is reportedly going to be spending somewhere in the neighborhood of $170 million to explain Xfinity. Brian Roberts, the CEO of Comcast, acknowledged last month that consumers did not know what the brand name stood for. Wow. Um, you know, I, I'm going to say it's not often that we nail things right out of the gate, but I believe it was two years ago on Motley Fool Money when Xfinity was unveiled, and I think it's fair to say we were highly skeptical about the new brand name. Joe, I'll just start with you. What, what do you think of this? What do you think of just the the fact that they now have to spend this money? Well, it's a great example of the power of brands that a company with Comcast's uh, reach and marketing couldn't just create a brand out of thin air and people buy it. I'll also tell you, you shouldn't just make up a stupid name for a brand. <laughs> I mean, in this case, and, uh, you know, maybe a third lesson is this is all gets back to Comcast just had a terrible brand because of poor customer service. And they put themselves in this corner where they had to try something like this and it hasn't worked out. So lesson learned on taking good care of your customers. And Jason, to be fair, this is a company that's valued somewhere in the neighborhood of $85, $90 billion, I believe. And so uh, as we've talked about before where – You've got companies that make headlines because of huge numbers. J.P. Morgan comes to mind, and you look at what it means in terms of their overall balance sheet. It may not mean you know 170 million may be a drop in the bucket, and yet the symbolism uh, is something that I just can't get away from. Yeah, 170 million, I think, unfortunately, is not going to change the ultimate problem. That at the end of the day, you still look back at this name whether it's Xfinity or something else, there's still Comcast in front of it. And I think that's a big problem. You know, I, I thought it was pretty amazing. I mean, just funny, a little uh, little anecdote, but time back in, in 2010 listed Xfinity at number two in their top 10 worst corporate name changes list. And so it's <laughs> it's been kind of a dud since, since the beginning. But yeah, I mean, $170 million isn't going to fix, I think, one of the real problems here. It's the perception problem is you, you hear Comcast, and I think nine out of 10 people probably immediately have a negative sentiment when you say the word Comcast. Well, I think the Quickster name is available again if they want Quickster. to go after that. <laughs> Maybe that was number one. <laughs> uh, on the off chance that someone at Comcast is listening, what? how can we help these people? I, I will just say I'm a longtime Comcast customer. I find that they've gotten better over time in terms of their customer service. Uh, the people that I deal with, whether it's on the phone or in person, are great. The people who come to my home, you know, they come when they say they're going to come. But and this is just I'll just start with my own little bit of advice. Maybe take some of that 170 million and invest in hardware because it has happened on numerous occasions where I've talked to someone on the phone at Comcast and I've simply said to them, "Could you email me that information?" And their response is, "No, we don't have external email." This is 2012, people. 
you should be able to email something to one of your customers. Anyway, Joe, what do you think? How can we help them out? I've had so many terrible experiences with Comcast, <laughs> but I'm not going to get into that. Uh, I did recently cancel because there are better options online, and we didn't feel like we needed to keep paying for cable TV anyway. You know, I do like some things they've done. I like the NBC Universal deal. So what they've done was they had this kind of stagnant business with cable and internet and whatnot, but now they're connecting in some original content that they're now going to own and they can better tap. So I like that. And I would also like to see them keep making move towards uh, moves towards distributing content online. So being the pipe that you might pay for uh, on Comcast.com or Xfinity.com. Uh, and I think that's a good move. And they've kind of been testing out with that a little bit with the Olympics. Uh, they're live streaming the Olympic Games online, and I think that's a big win and a good step forward for them. So just more integration towards the online world and opening that up and, you know, stop letting Netflix be the, you know, web pioneer of the future for television. Like, Comcast could be that. Why not compete more aggressively there? What yeah, think, they just Chase? need to do whatever they can to identify themselves as not a cable company, but, a, you know, a, a an internet company, company yeah. a content, a yeah. communications company. Um, I mean, I can't speak as a Comcast customer. I don't have it. We are lucky enough to have Fios, and we love it. Uh, with that said, I mean, Xfinity is the same thing. I mean, you know, the fact that people don't quite get it is beyond me. I mean, do you understand what a McDonald's value meal is? Yes. Okay, then you should get Xfinity, too. <laughs> it's everything in one. And but I think I think that really the, one of the biggest problems is that, that they are still seen as primarily a cable company, which is yesterday's news as opposed to a content and communications company going forward. You can always drop us an email. Radio at fool.com is the way to get a hold of us. Uh, email from Bud Turner in Palmdale, California. He writes, you guys were discussing Whole Foods on Thursday's show, and it got me wondering, how much do you factor advertising into a company's valuation? Joe? Yeah, in a perfect world, you have a brand that you don't have to invest behind, but most companies can't do that. I actually as we just talked about. Yeah, <laughs> as we talked about. You know, honestly, I love to see companies that I'm investing in, especially when they're early in their growth story, pouring tons of money in advertising because building out that brand has value not just in that quarter or year, but for many years to come. And I think when you look at financial results, ultimately that bears the, the theory out. So a good example is Coca-Cola and PepsiCo. You know, I went back recently and looked at, as, on a percentage of sales, how much Coke and Pepsi spend on marketing. And Coke spent more than twice as much as PepsiCo. So even though I know a lot of people talk about, and by the way, Coke stock and business have vastly outperformed Pepsi over the past few years. And now Pepsi's racing to, to put some money behind their brand and make yeah. it exciting again. And they're too late to come to that realization. And, <clears throat> you know, they'll make some headway. But ultimately, I think Coke's commitment to reinvesting in the brand is what has made them such a strong franchise. And even though we've talked about before, like, do they need to keep putting money behind it? I think they do. And it's money very well spent. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I like to see companies taking advantage of all sorts of different social media opportunities out there because it does seem like there's a lot of free advertising more or less out there. Yeah. It's extremely concerning when you see these big, established, reputable companies that have to boost a lot of spending. So, you know, if I see something like a PepsiCo where they, they're going to spend a lot more money, I understand that, but I'm also a little bit concerned is, mm, I mean, is that going to be, are they going to really see some return on that investment or is it just, a, is it an image thing? I mean, is Coca-Cola one of those things that's always going to resonate a little bit more with companies? Uh, Starbucks, I think, was a great model for utilizing sort of the grassroots movement and not having to get so much in the way of advertising out there and commercials and whatnot. And I think that you see today, uh, you know, a company like Panera, which is about a tenth the size of Starbucks, 
which is now really starting to boost its advertising um, spend as well, up to about uh, 1.5% of, of overall sales. In that segment, average is anywhere between 3 and 6%. So they're still kind of catching up there. But it's it's also uh, fair to say that Panera is not really a very nationally known brand yet. So I think they're trying to spend more to, to create that impression. Well, uh, on the flip side, though, you have consumer-facing companies that have been very successful that have done minimal to zero advertising. And Costco leaps to mind. There's a company that, that really doesn't advertise in any significant way. Are they just an outlier in terms of, well, we've got a great business and we focus everything on membership and and getting our retention numbers up? And so that's is, the, is that example an outlier? Yeah, it's an outlier. People advertise for a good reason because it works. Um, <laughs> and, you know, if you have a business that's very brand-centric and revolves repeat purchases, then it really makes sense for you to pour money behind it. So if you're Coca-Cola, but if you were a Procter & Gamble for example, where you're, you're talking about razor blades, diapers, toilet paper. They're doing no, a lot of advertising <laughs> on the Olympics. Yes. Yes, they are. And, you know, they probably got – they probably didn't pour enough money behind their brands for a while, and I think that's kind of hurting them today. Jason? It, was, it, it wasn't too terribly long ago we were talking about – I think it was Procter & Gamble maybe that was spending a, a little bit more um, in – trying to get advertising out on, on channels like Facebook and whatnot so they could yeah. sort of make that leap from television advertising to, to online advertising to, to better understand what demographics were actually clicking on those ads so then they could target ads a little bit more appropriately, which I think is uh, is something that we'll see more and more as time goes on because because everything is moving online. And uh, you know how, how much do you actually watch TV anymore? I think a lot of it is, is done online. Uh, just to wrap up on Bud's question, when you guys are looking at companies in terms of sort of factoring advertising into a company's valuation. Is that something? How does that actually factor? Well, in? Do, mm-hmm. does, it, does it only apply to some of the companies that we're talking about? And by that I mean, are there businesses that you invest in where you think, you know what, I, I'm, they don't really need to advertise. They're much more of a B2B type of investment. And I, that's something I don't need to, I don't need to check that box in terms of my work as an analyst. No, it's something I look at. Like I recently recommended Amazon to Inside Value members, and one of the first things I did was go back and look at their history of marketing spend as a percentage of sales and compare that to basically every other retailer under the sun, and that gives you a sense of what's actually driving sales growth at a company. So there is value in seeing that. Yeah, and beyond the numbers even, and I think this is something that it would behoove all investors to think this way, is to, to looking at valuation just beyond the numbers into competitive advantages and where the company stands sort of in the value chain of things, because there may be a situation where a company doesn't have to spend so much on advertising because of their competitive advantage, or is there competitive advantage because they do so well in their advertising spend. So getting a better idea as, as to where they stand in that competitive advantage competitive advantage um, realm is, is helpful, I think. Yeah. And at one thing, this is a kind of an obscure one, too, but occasionally you'll see companies that actually don't have any connection to consumers still marketing to them. <laughs> and I'm not talking about pharma, but I'm thinking of Chesapeake Energy, mm-hmm. which will actually go out and sometimes they do promoted tweets on Twitter. And that just totally cracks me up, right? Because I'm not going to see that and think, you know what I'm going to do? Drill a well with Chesapeake Energy. It's just totally complete pandering. Joe Ager, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. tomorrow.